Coming up, director Jamie M. Daggs and actor Christopher Abbott talk Sweet Virginia. Then singer-songwriter Shirley Nome stops by to talk about sex. There are still places, even in 2018, I think there are still parts of this country where where if, if, if you kill someone and you hide them, you know, no one's going to no one's gonna find out for a while. There are a few songs about things other than sex, such as murdering your neighbor's dog and how we're all going to die. And a lot of doom and gloom actually made its way in there. A lot of existential stuff. Three pages of fighting or something. It was like a, there was a two-by-four involved or people... He's getting knocked out. I just fun to read, but I don't, you know, I, I have to maintain um, a suspension of disbelief. You know what I mean? Hey, folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, pull up a beanbag chair, maybe grab a stool at the bar and pour yourself in the groney, and then sit back and listen to the interviews as they fly through the air. A little bit later on, the Queen Troubadour of Intelligent Black Comic Sex Balladry. That's quite a title. She's quite a performer. Her name is Shirley Nome. She's going to be here to talk about all kinds of stuff, including her subject matter, her chosen subject matter, and that's, well, sex. First up, though, I want you to meet Jamie M. Daggs and Christopher Abbott. That's the director and star of Sweet Virginia. This is a great little neo-noir, and it kind of put me in the mind of the Coen brothers, but I'm not going to compare it to the Coen brothers, because everybody compares everything to the Coen brothers. And this is not that. This is a really distinctive, beautifully made thriller about a woman who hires a psychopath to come to town to kill her husband, her cheating husband. Uh, He does the job, there's a bit of collateral damage, and then when she doesn't have the money to pay him, trouble ensues. Uh, It stars John Bernthal, Imogene Poots, uh, and Christopher Abbott, who will be here in just a little while to talk about playing Elwood, uh, a a deeply troubled guy uh, who is also a remorseless killer. First up, though, Jamie M. Dagg. His last film, River, won the Canadian Screen Award as Best Canadian Film of the Year. Uh, This is a terrific film that he's made here. He took it a script that he didn't write and helped shape it. So I started by asking him why, when you wrote your last film, did you take on an outside project for your second film? Here's Jamie M. Dagg, followed immediately by Christopher Abbott. I didn't want to... It was actually by design. Uh, I didn't want years to go by before getting back in the director's chair. Right. Um, so I instructed my agent, despite having a couple scripts kicking around and stuff, I said, let's find something that's, you know, close to being set up. And uh, and they went to work at that, and they started sending me script after script after script. And actually, this was one of the first scripts they sent me when I started working together with these guys. And, uh, yeah, like, because you only, if you think about the amount of time that you spend actually working with actors on a film, you know, so maybe a month or two months or whatever, depending on how long you're, how long you're shooting, and once every five years, and and it's and how do you expect to master something if you're only doing it for a few weeks? Yeah. <laughs> once every, you know. So I wanted to, I just wanted to get back in that saddle again, and and uh, yeah, and dive. and that's, I think it's a lot. Of, the second film is is often a more difficult one to get set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the office opportunity to move very, very quickly, uh, which never, <laughs> nothing moves uh, that quickly in this industry. 
I wonder though, what was it about the script itself? I, I, I get the sort of practicality of it, but what yeah. was it about the script? Well, see, I, I'm from originally from a small town, yeah. and so I, I'm, I'm really fascinated with how that sort of lack of anonymity in small communities, uh, how it changes the dynamics and how people relate to one another. You know, where everyone's sort of incestuously interwoven into the fabric of the community and keeping secrets is really difficult and and uh, these are communities where the ramifications of of uh, misdeeds are dramatically amplified it often ripples across the entire population so that's one aspect of the script that I really found it's also a commentary on um, you know it's a commentary on, on violence and how we all have that capacity for violence within it and it's about there's also I love the I love the morally ambiguous people the, the characters everyone is morally ambiguous in this and they're just sort of average people who are confronting life love and death and they have a great resilience to them and uh and in the case of Sam, you know, he's someone who's ultimately trying, he's struggling to escape his past, you know. So these are all elements that I found really attractive. The script was very different when I first read it versus what you've seen on the screen. Um, it was set in Virginia in the late 70s. Uh, you know, Sam's, the John Bernthal character was originally, you know, a 65 or 70-year-old man. Wow. Um, Chris Abbott's character was this very sort of smooth-talking, charismatic, like, cowboy. Like, he wore cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, and he drove around in an old Mustang. So there's a lot that changed tonally within the film. But they still, the writers had this sort of strong foundation for something that, um, that you know, used to build off of. Yeah. Well, I had read somewhere that you, the China Brothers, and you got together and trimmed the script by about 30 or 40 percent. Well, I did that. <laughs> it was a really challenging because they really want to direct this, and I, I really do love those. They're fantastic people. They're extraordinarily talented. But, you know, I wanted to put my own sort of stamp on this. And as a lower-budget film, uh, you know, it was a 130-something page script. Right. And so the day before we started pre-production, I just, just hacked out all the fat out of it. I cut 30 pages out of the script. Um, I don't think they they didn't know what was going on at that point. <laughs> they were on set. What, what is that? Why? And I, I, one of the things that I really loved about this movie is that we're just given enough information to understand the motivations of the characters. Just enough. There's not yeah. a lot of backstory, and we uh, a lot of that we don't need, right? We just need to know kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And was that's that their writing stuff that went out. Yeah, no, no, that that's their that's their writing. Yeah. That, that's I have to give credit where credit is due, and they were really, really restrained in what they chose to divulge to the audience and what they didn't. Yeah. Um, they just had all these extra scenes that, like, it was a retirement party scene that was eight pages long. You know, what I mean? like shit that just didn't push the film forward. You know, didn't drive the story forward. Eh? But no, that that's them, and and that's what that's another thing that I really love about it because they're not. Everything is subtle, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need to know Sam's backstory. Yeah. You don't need to know what happened to his wife and his child. You know, because when you people, especially if you've got, you know, if you're really familiar with another individual, you know what I mean? You don't always talk about, oh, remember that, maybe your dad died eight yeah. years ago, you know what I mean, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. Like, these things you don't bring up. And that's why it, it just starts to feel like exposition, you know, and, and, uh, 
And so that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the China Brothers, and that's, I embrace that 100%. Now, I've also heard that you, cha- and we don't, really, we don't want to give anything away, but you changed the ending of the film based on a conversation that you had on the day that you were shooting. Yeah, there was. <laughs> that seems pretty all strange. Of us, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was actually the day. It was the, we, we all three, like me, John, and this is without giving anything away. Me, John, and, or John, Chris, and I, right. we we there, we were bumping up against the ending of it, and it felt very sort of typical of the genre. Right. You know what I mean? It was it was like a draw, literally a draw, and 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 we were exploring all the various. You know how how can we make this less sort of stereotypical and and yeah I think we ended up through we all contrib- the three of us contributed uh, little elements that changed the ending and again without giving anything away uh, to what it is now and, uh, and I'm really happy that you know that we were all open to that you know. It, that's what I love about this, you know, work with these people is just like everything's fluid, you know what I mean? And and obviously, you know, I have a strong idea tonally and direction of where I want the film to go and everything has to fall into place along that. It's fine, you know what I mean? But, you know, keeping an open mind and and, and dropping those sort of preconceived ideas that you have, you know, is it's, it can only make the film better, you know? And uh, tell me about arriving at John. You said earlier in the original script he's 65 years old, kind of like Harry. Br- I thought of Harry Brown, uh, kind of thing, like sort of an older guy, uh, you know, who's who's forced back into a life that that he sort of left behind. But this is different. This is a different thing. But John, I mean, he's big, you know, and, and that's and he's pumped. And so, you know, to, to, to really get the idea across that he is somehow diminished physically uh, must have been a bit of a trick for you. It, it was. Uh, that was originally why I was sort of apprehensive, and I, I'm used to seeing John in these sort of hyper-masculine roles, and, and that character really needed a warmth to him and a vulnerability. Uh, speaking with John for the first time five minutes on the phone, I, I had all those worries went like we're sort of washed away. But the one thing left outstanding is the fact that he was getting ready to shoot the Punisher. So he was jacked. He's not jacked. He wasn't steroids, but like, he was just yeah. big. He's just big. Like he's been working out like mad. And so how could someone like Chris Abbott be threatening, possibly be threatening to him? And John had this, we were discussing it and John had this idea where he would, uh, you know, from repeated head injuries from, um, his former career as a bull rider that he had developed a, uh, a form of like early onset Parkinson's. And so we had these tremors. So he was like sort of broken down, not only emotionally, but also physically. And, and that helped at least from a physical standpoint, like it helped lend believability to, you know, this broken man. You know? yeah, physically and mentally. Yeah. Like in, yeah. in all senses of the word. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm speaking with Chris uh, Abbott tomorrow. Tell me how you oh, arrived on him. I think he's uh, fantastic in the movie. And there's something that's kind of like boyishly charming one second, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's breaking your neck behind a pickup truck. You know, it's yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he was actually the first person to attach himself to the film. 
Uh, my casting director in the States, uh, Melissa Kostenbauter, she recommended Chris. And at that point, I'd only seen him in Girls. And well, I thought his performance was good. And I was like, he's just not right for this. And she insisted that I watch uh, James White with uh, Cynthia Nixon. And I called her right afterwards. And was like, oh my God, this is the same guy. <laughs> and uh, he's got incredible range. Um, and so we met and we, we talked. We talked a lot about the character. And both of us had issues with this guy being this really charismatic, you know, cool cowboy like sort of character. And, and we were both interested in sort of pushing it more into like the person who was bullied in high school that could be like the next Columbine shooter, you know? Um, he really. If you watch the film and the way that he interacts, his character interacts with each of the different characters and, he, and how he adapts in each of those situations, there's subtle differences between his performance all throughout. And I think he really did embody the sociopath in a, in a, in a, in a, believable, in a believable way. Well, there's the scene on the bridge where he's talking to Imogene Poots and, and he says, yeah. you know, like, uh, you better give me my money and uh, if you don't, something terrible is going to happen. And, you know, then maybe we can go catch a drink or something or he invites her out for dinner afterwards. Yeah, wow, yeah. That, even yeah. the way he says, no, yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> just like he draws it out, like, it's really it's incredible working with him, yeah. And then there's a scene where Elwood uh, is uh, sort of dispatches, kills two guys um, who are just, they're collateral damage. They just happen to be kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time sort of thing. Yeah. I read, again, that that scene was much more violent to begin with, and you made the decision to draw that back. Yeah. The entire script was a lot. It was really, really bloody and grotesque. Yeah. Um, I think, see... For me, the violence, I don't, I think if it's overly gratuitous, it tends to take away from the story. Right. Like, I'm not a turned off by it, I don't like a lot of really violent films, but, you know, there's already a Tarantino out there, there's already Robert Rodriguez out there, I just don't have anything to add to that. Like, I think it's, it, uh, it's um, there's a shock value to it that doesn't shock anymore because we've seen it all, we've seen, we're desensitized to it. Um, and I still, still think that there's a way that you can uh, portray the violence, because I never shy away from it. It just takes place either soft focus in the background or, or off screen or something like that. And I think that there's, I don't know, sometimes you don't see things so explicitly. I think that it allows your mind to sort of run with it and, and to, to much better effect, you know? Well, in um, the scene that I'm thinking of, you know, the, the pickup trucks is kind of in the way. And so you yeah. don't see the whole thing. You see part of it. You see grappling, but you don't see the whole thing. And um, it, it, it just struck me that it was up close and personal. Like, the camera is it seemed fairly far back and your and your vision is obscured but as you're watching it just the 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 personal nature of choking someone to death is even more horrible when it just seems like it's in kind of a normal situation throw back yeah. somewhere there's a truck and and uh that seemed to me really kind of uh stayed in my head because it was i don't know there was just something kind of like the 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 normalness of evil there or something. I'm not even sure how to describe it. Well, it's also when you see a fight, like, we're unfortunate to have to watch a fight. We're never in close. It's usually, like, across the street. Yeah. They're usually over very quickly. You know, that's the thing about, like, street fights. It's not this protracted 10, 15-minute affair, you know. And I just think it's, it's there's, like, a voyeuristic element to it, and the camera stays 
within his car and it just pans across and we just take it in and then brings him back to the vehicle, you know, and for me, it felt like that was the most, not only economical, but just the most effective way to, to, um, to capture that moment. Yeah, I was a bartender for years, and I've seen a lot of bar fights, and they're over in one punch usually. Like they yeah, just, they just exactly. don't last very long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that again, that was another thing we changed. That was three pages of fighting or something. It was like a, there was a two by four involved, or people's teeth getting knocked out. It's just fun to read, but I don't, you know, I, I have to maintain. Um, uh, suspension against belief. You know what I mean? And uh, and I just thought it's much better. Just let's just like compress this. You know what I mean? Into just this one like little paroxysm of like violence and and get out of it. Uh, what was the most challenging day of shooting on this? I, I understand it was a fast shoot. Uh, there's a lot of elements. The, the, the cast is is fairly large. You know, for the for the story it has. So what was yeah. the most challenging? part of this for you um it, here's the thing it wasn't really a hard film to make right and i don't mean to sound like a, it's not trying to sound air like it you know filmmaking's often characterized as being this harrowing sort of experience and oh, yeah. shooting my first film river very much was a, a really challenging film to make this film was sort of easy right and i think it has to do with this perfect sort of chemistry that existed between myself, my cast, and my crew. Right. Like, it was like summer camp. Um, it was hard, don't get me wrong. You know, you get tired because you're doing, like, long days and day after day after day, but it was never, I don't know. I think, I think there was a scene that stressed, the first scene that we shot with Chris, because Chris just came in, and it, we had very little time to do it. So Chris and John in the diner, and it was like five pages, six pages of dialogue originally, and we only had four hours to shoot it. And that was the first big scene that we'd done with Chris, and it really going to set like the foundation for his character. And it terrified me leading up because I was like, what if this is shit? Like, and we just don't have time to just like spend hours like right. massaging the performance, you know. And after his first take, like I was, I felt like physically sort of ill. I was like, just, what if this is just shit? Because <laughs> we talked about it, but we didn't really rehearse much. You know what I mean? We just wanted to, I wanted it to be fresh, you know, and we spent a lot of time talking over the months, but this is, now we're going to see it. And we only have four hours to shoot all these pages of dialogue. And, and after the first take, I ran over to one of the producers and we were both like giddy, like little kids, like thumbs up, like, yes, this is going to be good. Yeah. So it was, that was a, uh, yeah, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't really a hard shoot. Um, it was enjoyable, and I, I look I, the next one's probably going to be hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these things, these things, uh, they don't. It's not supposed to be this sort of easy. Well, I mean, I think the finished product is a, is a little bit of a blend between myself, Jamie, and uh, what the China Brothers wrote. Um, but you know, I think they they wrote a really exciting character and you know a very exciting story. But Jamie wanted to kind of um, first of all change the landscape and the time period. Mm -hmm. And once once you kind of do that, then I think then you're kind of forced to change some of the character traits. Um, you know, it's just it, it's inherently a different quality of uh, if it's taking place in Virginia in the set in the 70s, like originally written, and people were in cowboy boots and once you take that out then you kind of have to change you know a, a few other things you modernize it you change the way people speak um you know so there's like those there's those overall general kind of uh 
broader strokes that, that like come into then changing the character. And then both Jamie and I, when we met, we were both more, I was more interested in the kind of, uh, approaching it from just like a mental health, uh, aspect. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that and, and being able to kind of explore, you know, all, all the, um, pretty much where this guy falls on the spectrum, um, uh, how many traits, how many sociopathic or psychopathic traits does, does he have, um, and his narcissist, narcissistic qualities. Like, I, I was interested in that stuff. And Jamie was very interested in just in terms of the vibe of the mood of the story. The piece was interested in a slightly more grounded, realistic uh, world that, that these characters uh, would live in. Um, so it wound up being a blend, you know, we, it's not, it's not like we took the fun out of the China Brothers script, but, uh, I think we used some of their, you know, really great specific character, uh, characters, and then just made them live in a slightly more grounded, realistic world. Jamie was telling me yesterday that when they were shooting what is the first scene in the film, that when it was done he and the producer were high-fiving and said, that's it, we, we, it's going to work now. We know it's going to work because that scene worked so well. And I will tell you that as I was watching it, my wife was with me, and because we don't, didn't know what was going to happen, you could tell that something terrible was on its way, but you, you, you didn't know what it was. That scene is so tremendously tense and so effective, effectively rendered, um, it, it, still, it, it still is playing over in my head. It's so memorable. Um, can you tell me a little bit about shooting that? And, and uh, I asked, it came up with Jamie because I asked him if there were any challenging days on set. And he said, this was actually, you know, not such a challenging movie to make, but that first scene was something that he uh, had a lot invested in. So that's where it came from for him. Yeah, the first, I mean, the first part of the question, um, that I mean, I you know I agree. I thought I thought the first scene in the movie is 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 just as important I think as the end of the movie. You know, because you're 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 essentially setting the tone um, for for what's to come. Um, uh, no no pun intended. Uh, so what I mean, what I find that works really well in that scene is the uh, when it's quiet, it's quiet. You know, and that's and that's the that's the sense I think of having like the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, like when like when when I leave the diner first, and then before I come back in, um, it it's quiet. You know, between them, and just and the music kind of just builds up right at the point where I enter. So it's like it's um, you know we're not. He's not. He's not leading you. He's not kind of uh, dangling a carrot in front of the audience. Like, like the music will just kind of then come in right, right when it's right when it's supposed to. And I think it's kind of. Ele- I think it's kind of an ele- elegant choice um, by Jamie and, and Jeff and, and uh, who was the editor. Um, uh, I agree with Jamie that it wasn't. It was. I mean, it was challenging in terms of you know making sure that, at least for me, making sure to avoid. Uh, cliches, or you know, I'm, I'm di- I was dipping into a pool of playing a villain and and com- comparable to other characters, to, to other performances. You know, there's 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 a lot there, there's a lot of good, um, very incredible, memorable performances out there of you know, quote unquote villains. So, I mean, I I, I find it challenging to you know both both. Uh, both, re, you know, re, respect the, the lineage of, I guess, but I guess playing villains, but then also um, uh, doing, trying to do my own, my own thing with it. Uh, so that was a challenge for me. But in terms of the day to day and and doing scenes with 
John and, and, and everyone and working with Jamie, it, it was actually that easy. You know, Jamie, Jamie created an atmosphere where we were able to just kind of play as actors and, and he really, and he really enjoyed, he enjoyed watching us, which then I think gives us confidence to go further and do more. So, um, it was, uh, it was a nice marriage in that way. Elwood is very charming by times as well, and that's, I think, what is so kind of disarming about him. And, you know, there's yeah. a, a, a coolness to him, a coldness to him. But, you know, it melts away uh, it, it, by moments. You see little flashes of it in the bridge scene with Imogene Poots. You see little bits of the charm come out, and you, you realize there that with every character in the film, he's interacting just slightly differently. You know, there's a different Absolutely, view yeah. with, each, with each person. And it was fascinating to watch. Yeah, well, I mean that's you know that's a that's like one of the traits essentially of a, I think of a sociopath too. It's like they they'll, they'll adapt um, who they are according to who they're with, you know, and um, and you know and El, we I I decided and, and Jamie agreed that you know Elwood was a character who um, inherently uh, despises humans. Mm-hmm. Um, he he kind of has a big distaste for them. Thinks they're kind of vile and disgusting. Except for uh, Sam, and maybe a li- and maybe Lila for a second before <laughs> before uh, she kind of rejects him. But but uh, you know I think so. I think it's important to kind of it was important to, to draw to draw that line, or, or just to draw that trait in, in Elwood where it's clear that he for whatever reason he has a, he, he he likes Sam and 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 tries to be normal in front of him, and it, and it takes work for Elwood to seem normal and. It takes energy for him to do that, so he expends that energy whenever he's with Sam. And then when he's by himself, you kind of kind of get to see the real him. Yeah, uh, like in the the hotel scene where he was talking to his mom on the phone and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny you say you know he's trying to act normal. It's sort of what his idea of normal is, though. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it, it's like it's what he's seen in movies himself, mm-hmm. or what. Or what? Or how? It's almost like he mimics. He mimics other n- normal human behavior, yeah. he, he, but he can't actually do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not natural for. It's not genuine, really. Yeah, yeah. Right. What's exactly. It? Like he's like. You see the wheels turning, and you see him go. Well, I think I should smile here. Yeah, yeah. You know. What, what sort like of research that. did you do for this? Into well, that you know, I mean, I've. I've always been interested in, like, um, like, I mean, I think a big reason why I'm an actor is because I'm interested in human behavior and, and why people do the things that they do. So I inadvertently, I think, was doing research, like, way before I even knew about this movie. Because, you know, I, I, would, I read books. I read books on psychology. and You know, even something like The Psychopath Test, which I've referenced before in other interviews. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I know there are, uh, people have different feelings about that book. Even psychologists have, have, uh, mixed, mixed reviews and whatever about that book. But I mean, like I'll, I use, I use some things that I read in that book for, for this part. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in naturally kind of interested in, in, uh, why people do the things that they do and, and, and. And then it's also then part of my job as an actor to, no matter how bad a character is, is to justify or feel bad for him, you know. And and that's kind of the fun. That's the fun of it too. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you have a soft spot for um, uh, a murderous psychopath? 
And it's interesting, too, in the film that we don't really get a lot of background information. You know, I, I figure that something's up with your mom. I figure, you know, something terrible has happened. We don't really know exactly what happened to Sam. You know, we don't really know what the marital problems, exactly what they are between uh, Mitch and, and Lila. So it, I, I like that the characters uh, in the moment what you know about them is all you need to know about them. Uh, and you have to make, much like in real life when you first meet someone, you make up your mind based on their, the way they behave uh, immediately in front of you, the way they speak, whatever, their body language. Uh, but that movie allows yeah. us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as an audience, you're kind of dropped in, you know, and without and without much to go on it. And I, I mean... And there's sometimes, look, sometimes in films, I think there's laziness and ambiguity. Right. I, I don't, you know, I think, I think sometimes that, that could be dangerous. But in, 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 the, in the case of this film, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think, I think, I think, uh, I think you're given as much information as you need as an audience and probably as much as you want. Um, uh, because I, I think it then it, it makes... It, it, it makes the downfall of each character, I think, then much more interesting, and then you can kind of you can kind of put your own themes on onto them. You know, like Lila, Lila, the Lila character is kind of on the surface of a victim in all this, but then she she's a bit of a sociopath herself. Mm -hmm. You know, which I actually think is really interesting. You know, she 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 hired someone. She hired someone to kill to kill her husband. And with her, um, yeah, Not I mean, you know, and and. Exactly, and just and the way her face, you know, the way you, you can just see it in her eyes too. Like there's there's something there's something up with her, you know, and and uh, and I, I don't know. I think that's really fun. It's like not not everyone is exactly who they are on the surface. You know? Right. Well, it's it's interesting because uh, it's a set in a small town, and in, generally speaking, in small towns, you know, everyone knows one another's business and that sort of thing. And in this one, you know, everyone is related somehow. All these sort of bits of the puzzle kind of fit together. Uh, and I thought it was yeah. interesting to watch the dynamics between the characters as terrible things happen, you know, around them and in town. Um, it, it felt real to me. I grew up in a very small town, and it kind of felt real to me the way that information was is passed. Totally. I mean, like, you know, I think I think people have had the argument, and and in some ways, I agree that, like, well, where's the uh, where's the law enforcement during this whole thing? <laughs> you know, and and I think there's truth to that. I mean, you kind of wonder, but I do think that I, I do think that you're given a pass a little bit in a town like this mm -hmm. because um, uh, things move, you know, there are, there are still places, even in 2018, I think there are still parts of this country where, where if, if, if you kill someone and you hide them, you know, no one's going to, no one's going to find out for a while, you know? And, and I think, and I think that, I think that helps um, that little plot point a little bit for, for us. In, in this. Go see Sweet Virginia. It's in theaters right now. Next up, we have Shirley Nome. She's from the west coast of Canada. She's a multi-award winning cabaret musician. She's best known for her explicit lyrics, her hilarious insights, and a really gorgeous voice. Uh, she sings outrageously taboo and obscenely honest songs that are also really, really funny. Uh, she's done shows across Canada, the U.S., Australia, and the U.K., and she stopped by the House of Krauss to talk about her new album, it's called Taking It Up The Notch. Not taking it up a notch, but taking it up the notch. 
uh, which went to number one on the iTunes comedy charts in Canada. This is Shirley Gnome being kind of serious about being funny about sex. I like that you are described in one review that I read as the queen troubadour of intelligent black comedy sex balladry. So. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big title to live up to. It's a big title. It's a lot of words. It's a big title. Mm. Uh, You are very specific in the things that you write about. You write about human relationships Mm -hmm. and you write uh, very candidly about sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, it seems like that's always been the case from your very first song Mm -hmm. all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Why why, uh, cast yourself uh, or or, or slot yourself in that that realm? Well... I will say that on the new album, I did break out of that a little yep. bit as just as a as a creative experiment. So there are a few songs about things other than sex, such as murdering your neighbor's dog and how we're all going to die. And a lot of doom and gloom actually made its way in there. A lot of existential stuff. Uh, but there is definitely quite a bit of uh, material about uh, sex and relationships still. And, uh, you know, it's I get asked that a lot. And. Really, a lot of I know what it sounds is... judgy. Like it sounds like I'm. Ju- and it's not. No, like, that's not it at all. No. But I mean, it's impossible to talk about your career without <laughs> without yeah. discussing this. The, and and the fact that that's been a huge part of my success, really, mm-hmm. and the and why people really enjoy that. I think there's two parts of it. One is that it's kind of out of my control on some <laughs> level because most writers would say they have a muse or you know right. something that kind of inspires them. I just I just can't help it. I think of these things and they make me laugh and then I write them down and they're usually I mean uh maybe I've just uh got a hormone imbalance but I just uh am a sexual person. And that realizing that that was something that we have a a fairly sex negative culture in a right. lot of ways, you know, an example of which is like my songs that are violent, there's no problem with that content-wise, but, oh, you start talking about how you enjoy a sex thing. Oh, no, you can't say that. That's terrible. That's mm-hmm. bad. That's wrong. Um, and, you know, that's one small example of the way that that's, uh, that is. And when I started singing these songs, I realized that as a woman as well, um, just being public about that uh, is strange and empowering and terrifying and all of these things um and that in a way is to be sex positive and to be candid and to be unashamed uh about uh sexuality and uh real honest experiences of what that's like not the fantasy of of female sexuality which is prevalent everywhere but the honest farty truth of it all (laughs) um that's like a power that uh, I realized that I was that I was sort of releasing when I was doing these songs and people were really responding to it and being like, oh, that's what I think, but I've never even thought of saying it out loud before. Right. Um, and for some reason, I'm able to do that. <laughs> and I think a part of that is a privilege of being, um, you know, in a, a family that's really supportive and non-judgmental, for one, um, having really good experiences, um, and Who let you listen to an Adam Sandler record when you were Adam young Sandler, over and over? I got to listen to Cheech and Chong. <laughs> I got to listen to Lenny Bruce. Wow. My dad, when I was a teenager, he says to me, hey, I uh, I got to play you a jazz, a jazz album from the 30s. 
I just want you to know that the F word existed before television. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then he put this song on and it was called Everybody's Effing But Me. Um, and it was so funny. And it was like this underground bootleg copy yeah, yeah. of this song. And I was like, oh, my God. And it blew my mind. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're not like a there's not a lot of shaming in my family. And uh, and I didn't I grew up in, a, in not feeling ashamed of who I was. And then I realized that was that was the privilege that I had and that was the thing that people didn't have. And that my experience of just to be like, hey, you ever notice how this is a weird thing? And just like completely silencing a room. I was like, what's everybody so concerned about? That's that's the thing that I have to give in a lot of ways. And 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 so many of my friends like come up to me. I'm kind of like the unofficial counselor in my group of friends right. for some reason. Um, oh, I, this thing happened, and oh, and they you know drink a couple glasses of wine, and oh my god. And it was like I'm like that's not a big deal. Here's a little song I just wrote about it. That's the whole thing. And then they'd be like they'd laugh, and it's like this catharsis of not feeling ashamed of things that are pretty human and basic and I am limited of course in my experiences um because I'm just a like a cisgendered heterosexual woman so I don't speak for a lot of other communities but I try to stick to very personal experiences or things that can be universal in terms of like acceptance and love and uh intimacy and romance and uh all these sorts of unspoken realities of what it is really like to be with other people in a sexual way the shows that you do live um are billed as comedy shows mm. but people uh i think if they haven't seen it before would be unprepared for how beautiful your voice is <laughs> how well written and structured and things the songs are and i i think that the idea that you are discussing very frankly and in very frank language that we can't use on the radio. It's a little frustrating. <laughs> uh, um, it Coupled with the the beauty of the presentation is something that seems like an odd juxtaposition sometimes and yes. I think can be part of the thing where the, the humor comes from. Absolutely. That is a huge part of it. Um, and I think that the the more the better I got at music, the better I was able to juxtapose those two right. things that I broke out of country in some ways. I was able to write more complex songs. And then I was also able to use uh, sex and sexuality as a tool by which to talk about other issues um, about how humans relate to each other and, you know, about human nature. And so then I would be talking about those things with this sort of explicit metaphorical stuff and then try and sing it as with all of the grace that um, I am misusing in this, <laughs> this heathen heathen lifestyle of mine. So, yeah. And I also understand that when I get on stage at a comedy show and I've got a guitar, this feeling of, like, discomfort fills the room. Absolutely. Because yeah. they go, oh, God, no, this is going to be such bad music. Yeah, and the, the only thing worse than that would be a prop comic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. I've seen this bad so many times, and I totally understand. I don't. I don't begrudge any audience member for going for their drink, being like, oh boy, here we go when I get up there. Because I'm like, I understand. I've probably seen more bad versions of this than you have. So yeah, and then I just uh, try to hit that first note and and uh, that's my alarm going that's, off. That... It's time for me to wake up. That was Shirley Gnome talking about taking it up the notch. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it anywhere that you find music. I can't keep track anymore. Uh, that's it. That's all there is this week. My thanks to Jamie. My thanks to Christopher. My thanks to Shirley. Most of all, though, my biggest thanks 
goes to you. Thanks for coming by every week. We put a new show up every single Monday. Without you, we would just be sitting here talking to ourselves. And while it's fun for a little while, it's not fun in the long term. We're always thrilled when you come by to visit with us. Make sure you come by next Monday. We put a new show up and you never know who's going to stop by for a visit. Who knows? Maybe it will be one of your favorite people. And you don't want to miss that.